This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 533, recorded on May 5th, 2022. Here on Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way in. News, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in a beautiful Bellevue, Nebraska. I think spring and is, is almost here. We're supposed to see some 70-degree and sunny weather uh, tomorrow. Of course, we'll post the show now. I got Paul Brayer tonight. He always does great show notes. So I always say world-class show notes, but tonight we'll have some in mind. Paul will always he Paul does the best show notes for the for someone who's not the podcaster that I've ever seen. So Paul, thank you for the work that you do. Like your show notes are incredible, Paul. Thanks. First of all, Paul, welcome. And thanks for all that you do. Thank you so much for having me here. And I appreciate the shout out on the show notes. Uh, take some time, but gladly I can type pretty quickly. So yeah, <laughs> it helps. No, you do. You, you, I'm, I am always, I'm always stunned. I think in the, some of the early days, maybe it wasn't as much, but you've refined it as you've gone along. And I, I want to say about, starting about six or seven years ago, like at the end of the show, like you'd have in the evening or the next day, you'd kind of have a recap out that was like a million times better than anything I ever did. And I was like, geez, thank you, Paul. So I appreciate your, uh, your talent. You're certainly using it. You're, you've always been a tech guy that's had the incredible ability to document for folks who don't know if you're a new listener to, to uh, home gadget geeks, you should uh, head out to Paul's site, Tinker Try, T-I-N-K-E-R-T-R-Y. It'll be all over the show notes, tinkertry.com. And um, Paul just has the most comprehensive posts of anybody that I know. If I ever if I, if I I ever need help with anything, I'm going to go to Paul's site first to see if he's written on it. Because, Paul, one of the things you do, one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about you and the way you do your site is if you don't just write it once and you're done. Like you write it and then maybe something changes. So you go back in and correct it, or maybe you get an update because you did something and, or you got an update, like in the ring days, you got an update from the, from the manufacturer. Right. And then you went in and add that information to it. So your posts are super comprehensive. How, how often do you think you go back and revise, update, edit a post that you put out there? It seems like you keep them, you keep them pretty up to date. What do you think? Yeah, I'd say for the first year, I'll probably touch the average post at least two or three times to keep it up to date. Um, and then in that first two days I publish something, I tend to get tweets or reactions or some follow-up or a new article comes out that's more comprehensive that I'll add to a post. So you're right. Most people don't. They just publish something on a blog style and it's that moment in time and that's it. But I try to keep some up to date. And one example of one is uh, I think half a million people have read it. Easily update VMware ESXi. That one's well worth updating because there's so much of it that's the same between VMware releases. There's no point in rewriting the whole thing or copying and pasting it. Let's just make one URL that people can just refer to and rely on. So I enjoy updating posts like that, that humans are actually reading, right? Some of the other ones where only a couple, I don't know, 86 people read it after it's been uh, posted a year ago. Yeah, I'm not going to be maybe as uh, likely to update that. But um, yeah, I mean, like most people, you try to make the most... The best use of your time, whatever limited time, spare time you have. Yeah, and yeah. I like try to I like trying to get the right information out. And it's it's difficult. Like something like Instium was a breaking story. When I first published it, I knew a fair amount. 
but I learned more in the next two, three days and then went and revised that article about, you know, Insteon pulling the plug recently. Yeah. Uh, renaming the title when I got inspired, Insteoff. So there you go. <laughs> I just had to do it. I'm terrible at link baby titles, but I, did, I couldn't resist that one. Did you go in and change the URL and everything? No, you, no. no. So you no. left that the same. Just yeah. If I, if I make a significant update to an article, I'll notate it at the bottom. So, you know, update this date and time. And here's what I added. If it, yeah. especially if it changes meaning, but usually it's just additional information. No big deal. I want to, I want to come back to that Insteon post here in just a second, but I do want to say big thanks to Phil Collison. You might know that name. That's my, he's mm. my son. Yeah. And uh, he was on last week talking about his drums. I appreciate the emails, several emails from listeners just saying they really enjoyed the episode. And anytime I get family on, it seems like people enjoy it. We get, I get Sarah on here or Sammy. Um, and then Phil came on this last week. So big thanks to Phil. I think he wants to get, we'll see if he gets his podcast started. He's, he's kind of interested in starting one, but um, uh, we'll see how it goes. And if he does, we'll have him back on and talk about it. But uh, Phil, thanks for coming on. It was fun to see he tweeted or he put it on Facebook. And then his wife was like, my husband's on Facebook. was on a podcast. It was just kind of fun to see them make a big deal about the podcast. So, so big. Thanks. Paul, oh, it's really, really cool oh, to hear you with family. You, you treat them so professionally. It's just fun to hear you do it. Doing your thing. And your daughter. Yeah, I, I enjoy it. Of course I always enjoy it. Well, I've got, I've got some pretty amazing kids and it's pretty easy to do that when they're pretty great kids. So I don't, uh, I didn't, for some reason I lucked out. I had five and not everybody gets five great kids, but I did. And, uh, and just, it's just, it's just pretty, the odds are against me, but, uh, for whatever reason it worked out. Um, since you mentioned it, Paul, let's go, let's go back to Insteon. I think it's been covered. I know, um, um, you know, I know it's been covered in the space a little bit, the, um, I think they covered it over there at uh, home on and some, some of the other, yeah, Richard Guthrie's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Richard Richard covered it and talked about it. But did that affect you? Did I don't have any oh, yeah. Insteon in here? What what what? How did that affect you? And and what'd you do? All right. So uh, April fourteenth, cloud goes down. April fifteenth or sixteenth, I noticed that um, my lights didn't turn on in the morning. Hmm. Hmm. Let me take a look. And I look in the basement. I look at the hub, and I see a red light. I'm like, oh boy. So I start looking at Twitter, and I see Stacy Higginbotham at Stacy on IoT broke the story first. Insteon is down and may not be coming back. There, a legit title, and it's true. I then later read, like Ars Technica, shameful, Insteon looks dead, just like its user smart homes. Not really true. And then The Verge, Insteon's troubles are our smart home tale as old as time. Um, as Insteon and iCloud servers go dark, consumers are left holding useless pieces of plastic again. Not really true again. That bothers me <laughs> when I'm reading even Ars Technica squeeze or you know bending the truth a bit no my devices aren't bricked i've got uh in my office here there's a toggle switch right behind my finger there behind me it's a physical toggle you push up it sticks straight out from the wall you push up light goes on you push down light goes down here i'll turn off my lights that's an insane keypad in front of me that lets me do my overhead lights from when i enter the room we're here that still works this is not bricked all right the part that is bricked is my daytime at sunset Midnight and sunrise programs don't seem to be quite as reliable, but for the most part, that stuff is local. But somehow turning off the cloud means I, well, not somehow, I can't reprogram. I can't change daylight savings time, for example. So I need to resolve this before November hits when we change our clocks because I'm suddenly going to have my, um, you know, lights going on an hour before, an hour after sunset, which will look a little goofy because most of them are exterior in the house and you don't really want that. So 
yeah, I've got some time. It's not an emergency. I don't have to replace the stuff inside the house, though. I really just need to replace the hub, a way to reprogram and make it so that my devices I already bought and have been using for almost a decade. So this was listed on our tech successes. The last time you had me it was July 2020, and I talked about my tech successes. It was a good eight-year run with Instant at that point. Well, now I've made it to nine years, and then poof, this is about as bad as it gets when they yanked the cloud away and didn't even give us any advance notice. So. Yeah, I think that's what really drove people nuts was yeah. just the lack of notice. I think, you know, and you never, you, you know, if you give your audience or if you give your customer base too much notice, there's crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth for an extended period of time. Some And so sometimes you got to be careful not to go too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, if you give no notice, I mean, you really leave people in a lurch. Now, a light switch. How, Paul, how long do you think you've had that light switch installed? Um, you think seven, eight years. And so I've, it's been well, a while. Oh right? yeah. So it's in, not a tech fail completely. I mean, I yeah. had a good run and it was reliable. Yeah. In in the world of IOT devices, this is a little bit of a debate because, you know, in the world of non, uh, when we think about a regular light switch, I mean, I've got light switches in my house that are 30 years old, maybe 40. Right. And they still flip mm-hmm. on and flip off. They still work. Right. Now our computers, our phones, we're replacing every two or three years. So we have a mentality cycle life cycle or like, oh, yeah it, it doesn't seem unusual that my phone would maybe you know brick at your four or brick at your five or whatever but like light switches are live in a different place i think like we yeah. you kind of think because i i would say well you've had it eight or nine years that's its life why, why not just replace it with another brand pick you know pick pick the brand that you're gonna go with instead of insteon and move over when just when I say that, what kind of reaction do you have of like, hey, so just replace it? What? How does it make you feel? Uh, well, not good because it would cost hundreds. So, like, I have a workbench in the basement where my Tinker Try, you know, workbench lab is. When I walk down the basement, I got a keypad on the wall. I didn't physically wire. I made it so when you enter the basement, you just tap a wall pad and it turns on the bench that's across the room. These little subtle interior home things, I had no reason to rip and replace them. They all still work. It's only the lights at the front of the house that turn off at sunset and. I turn on at sunset and turn off at sunrise that I need to address. So if I can do that for about $200, it looks like, and um, you threw the article in the uh, stream, I see in the chat. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yes, inside, if you go to tinkertry.com right on the homepage, you know, right near the top there, um, the instant article and the, the solutions seem to be one company's called home seer. Um, it's a raspberry Pi device. It's going to ship preloaded along with a home seer plugin that allows it to talk to my instant hub. So, all my existing hardware, instead of having a red light in my Instant Hub, I'll now regain control of it and be able to say, okay, sunrise, sunset, and the Congress has changed the law, and then we're going to stop daylight savings in 2023. You know, I should be able to handle all that. Yeah. And then I'm good. My house is 27 years old. I've had automation for nine years. I wasn't particularly interested in rewiring this to multiple spots in the room. There's no way I'm going to do that. I, I use the switch all the time. Yeah. Um, the same for position switch here. I'll show it on camera for those on YouTube. Yeah, it's just an Insteon switch with four positions. The top one does my lights above my head, as I already showed. The next one does my printer, which makes noise. And sometimes I don't want that going or at night, <laughs> I don't want it to wake up and recalibrate if someone's in there in here as a guest room. And then the other one, it's just, um, what else do I have? Oh, my computers, all my screens and everything. I don't want to turn that off now because it'll kill the podcast. But when I leave the room, everything goes off on my triple monitor display here. And that's just yeah. with an Insteon switch. So here's the thing. The good news is local control works, right? It's a local mesh. So it uses RF signal and wireline. So Insteon tries to be more robust 
by repeating the signal throughout your house, propagating that, getting it to the far corners, and doing things like water leak detection. But luckily, I moved over from water leak detection from Instant, doing that over on Amazon's Ring products now. So I am paying Amazon a monthly time service, but I get cloud storage of videos and I get um, police and fire. Uh, so my existing smoke alarms will still alert my fire department, even if I'm not home. That to me is useful. So most of the crucial Instant stuff I was relying on, I jettisoned about two years ago anyway. So this is not that painful for me. It's really just yeah. the lights in the front of the house that aren't going on appropriately at the right time now. That's about and it. Instion didn't work with the Amazon ecosystem or Habitat or any of those any of those home hubs that uh, that seem to be so common today. Um, yeah, they were a proprietary network. So doing it at a fundamental level, that that was the risk I took going with something that was a the early X10 replacement. Instion was the early shining example in that field. So it got me to replacement nine years. But now I'm paying the price nine years later where they just, uh, you could, you know, supply chain has hurt a lot of companies. So you could call this a side effect of that. If someone had bought them out, this could have been a much more graceful ending. Could I have seen that nine years ago? No. I knew it was proprietary. I knew there was some risk. But I also knew it worked in all the four corners of my home and was quite reliable. So I'm not particularly upset, as you can tell. Those articles upset me because some of them were darn misleading. They're telling me I had a brick. I'm like, oh, when's it going to be a brick? I'm like, it's still kind of working. My lights are still working. And then I read further and realize they're just like baby titles. Well, they didn't do, they were rushing to get the articles out. So it's not yep. like they were spending any time. Not, And I'm sure many of them didn't even have Insteon devices. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. just writing, right? It was just, That's hey, we got to get this out. We got to get it done. You know, we got to be the first one out there to make sure we get, you know, we pick that up. And I mean, it's too bad. It's too bad. Yeah. But it's, I think it's pretty typical in the space. Paul, you and I both know you know, that we live in a space of people who, who get a review product on Friday, have yeah. a, re -re a review written by Saturday morning, you That's know, and you're like, uh, really? Like, yeah. did you really get some time with it? You know, I think one of the things I've always appreciated about you and your methodology is you're very thorough and you take the time. If you're going to review something, if you're going to talk about something, you really get into the depths of it. Like I've, we've done several Tesla episodes and you, you dig in and all this thing. It's not like, yeah, I just got it last week. And you know, I think it's the greatest thing ever. And so I've always, I've always appreciated that about you. So thanks for being, <laughs> thanks for being thorough on that. So it sounds like from an Insteon standpoint, you're going to be able to just replace a few things. You've got that all under control. Yeah. You might replace a few things. And you don't have to do it in a hurry because it's going to work till you get it done and, and you're going to be all right. Are, Maybe. are other people worse off? than? Well, that? I didn't order the replacement and it's Raspberry Pi based. So hopefully it's yeah. not stuck in a container ship and stuck because there's been problems getting those right. <laughs> I, it could be four months hard. before I get this. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. So I know it's a back order, but at least the vendor was honest that this is a back order I was placing. So they're resuming shipments uh, May or starting shipments May 16th. Do I have any clue when mine will arrive? No clue whatsoever. Yeah. So I'm not out of the woods yet, right? right. So no, I may end up having to do something, yeah. How many total, so if you were going to replace all your Insteon devices today, mm. how many How many do you think you have? <laughs> I wish you could fire up the app and show them all in a list, <laughs> but now that the app is broken, the app just won't even log in because there's no cloud. Right. So the local control is not there when the cloud went away. That's because Insteon made a purposeful move to the cloud. And that did worry me when that happened last uh, six, seven years ago. But the cloud wasn't even there when they first rolled out their products, right? The stuff in my house worked. 
So when they went with a cloud, that left me in danger of it breaking. But anyhow, it's about 20, Jim. So each one about 30 yeah, bucks. Okay. It's a significant investment. Okay. So you're looking at, uh, hey, hon, I got $900 of stuff to rip out of the house yeah. and rewire like this wallet. have to you know, open. Not a big deal, but right. taking right. a switch out. No, and, right on. And, and you have to decide... You gotta decide who am I gonna go with on this next exactly, time. and what I want this to happen yeah. again. Yeah, so right. cl- cloud, right. yeah. cloud only. I would stay clear of that's the lesson. If there's anything you're remembering from us talking about this for a few minutes here, something that relies on the cloud, even for local control. Oh boy, stay away, right? Because internet goes down. We all know this. Whether it's yeah. Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, whatever, your internet's gonna have moments. Do you really want someone in your house not able to turn a light on and off just because your internet went down? Well, you gotta it, watch out it, for that. It was one of the when we had Hubitat on here, that was kind of their, you know, they position themselves as the non they have a cloud and a non-cloud. And yeah, you cool. can if the cloud goes down, your things will still work. And so and they're faster because they're local. And so it's it is one of those things where I kind of think now I, I don't I'm not in a spot where even if we don't have internet, I'm not I'm not out of the woods because I've positioned all or I yeah. I've positioned all the switches so I can reach them if I need to just manually, you know, turn them on. So I can still in every, in every case, I can still walk over to the light and turn it on. So I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, no internet where else. I mean, well, and then I bought a generator, but I, I mean, I'm back up and unless we have a complete outage, you know, I'm back up and running and, whatever time it takes me to hook the generator to the house and then turn things on. So, yeah, I think um, we talked about that too. I, I got a generator, right? I've only had to use yeah. it uh, three yeah. times in the last decade. So it was a decent yeah. $700 purchase, but yeah. I did pay an electrician to put a transfer switch in. So the seven crucial circuits of my home, including like the water heat, uh, the circulator pumps, cause my, I do have gas furnace in the basement, but to move that heat around the house is a water loop. Yeah. That pump, right. Yeah. Those are the things I thought about and I'm glad I did. I've had a couple power outages since and able to, save my parents' groceries, throwing them in the basement freezer and just keep the food going, right? Rather than yeah, that's two what, or three families losing the food every time you lose power for two or three days. Food is what, exactly. like I get yeah. so angry when food goes bad. Yeah, yeah like so, the, so the generator was just an insurance policy so I wouldn't get mad when we started yeah. losing food. That's, I don't, you know, I don't care yeah. about the, the electricity or lighting or even cooling in a lot of cases. A uh, couple couple comments from the chat room. Joe said oh, yeah. calls Insteon was one of the few that supported Windows. Awesome. phone back in the day now they're gone they've gone the way of windows phone <laughs> tim w job. says makes me glad i have a hubitat and, and <laughs> nice that, you know that is a good well and tim this makes me kind of think paul as we're having this discussion my hubitat is off i i haven't i haven't turned that thing on in s- six months to a year but it, it gets me kind of thinking again i've put in a bunch of really internet dependent devices Hubitat be a good backup for most of them, especially for the switches. If I were if I were to lose internet and I, and I needed things to work, so I may have to I may have to take a look. I have to update. I'll have to update my Hubitat about eight times to get it there because they're always adding um, so much. And then Joe says there's no such thing as a cloud, just other people's computers, and unfortunately they turn them off from time to time. And Insteon turned <laughs> turned theirs <laughs> off. So, Paul, anything else on that you'd add um, before before we move on on the Insteon topic? You know, I think I'm good. Just stay tuned. When I get that Raspberry Pi device, I'll obviously try and add that right to the same blog post. Just say, here's yeah. how the story ended, right? Did I succeed or fail? I might do a separate blog post for that, depending upon how setup, you know, goes. Um, but, yeah, no, thanks for bringing it up. I, I think that would affect a, 
decent number of folks. They were a pretty darn successful company. It sold a whole lot of stuff from smartone.com. Yeah. And so pretty uh, engaged. Um, you know, they have a pretty engaged audience too. Like Twitter lit up blog posts came out fast. <laughs> like it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't a low, you know, it wasn't not a low scale kind of like, Oh, they, they, they quietly disappeared. You know, they, there were some people like, what the, you know, yeah. and, and, um, and so if you've had Insteon, I'm sure, uh, let us know in the comments there, maybe on YouTube or, or, or whatever. Um, what are you doing to, to, to get yourself? Paul's talked a little bit about getting back on the road. What are you doing to get back on the road without an Insteon hub? Paul, yeah, one closing you, thought. Sorry, yeah, I have one yeah, footnote no, to that. Yeah, yeah. I can flick my lights on and off manually at sunset, right? So I can buy myself time that way. I don't want to make this to sound dire. It's not a big deal. Yeah. The fateful decision Insteon made to move to the cloud meant they were trying to allow access outside the home, which was never a super important feature to me, frankly. So I knew I was nervous when they moved to a hub that required cloud versus the local control I had already enjoyed for years where I could program things like sunrise and sunset. But that did mean owning and having software locally attached and updating firmware myself. You know how the world goes. People don't do that. So they kind of needed to go to cloud. I get it. But it also bit me in the end. So I'll just yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. No, right on. Joe also says Home Assistant, which I use as well as a good database of devices that allow. Oh, uh, yeah. Control. That's another so that workaround. Would, good point. Yep. There's several yep. workarounds for this. Yep. Yeah. And I, I and I've, we've had, but we've had all of them on the program, Hubitat. And uh, I don't, have I had home, the Home Assistant guys or we, Maybe we just talked about it, but all of them have some element of, of local control to them and, and have been, uh, are good. You know, I've, I've kind of fallen back to Amazon as just the hub of control, but I still have multiple, you know, you know how it is. They're all over the place. You got the app, yep. you got the device, the device has an app. Um, I just installed this week it, or, or I mentioned this, I think last week or maybe it was Saturday. I installed a Miros garage door controller on the, you know, for the garage door opener. And that's, that makes a Wi-Fi attachment. And then I can add that to, um, you know, I can add that to the, the a lady and say, open the garage door and, uh, you know, she'll ask for a pin. So I got, I have to give a four digit pin and then to close it, you just say, you know, Hey, close the garage door and they close it. Pairing that with the new ring cam that I just put in the garage, I can now see kind of like, oh, is the, did I leave the garage door open? Although last night I didn't check the monitor and I didn't check the door and I went to bed and the garage door stayed open. And I've got to figure out that routine that says, hey, the garage door is open at 10 o'clock. Just close it. Right. Type deal. I got to I got to figure out where I'm going to add that routine in. Um uh, so that I, it, it, even if I make a mistake and don't check it, it does it for me. Right. Yep. So super easy install. It was, it was maybe one of the easiest things I've installed. That's been home automation in a while. So it's pretty same, cool. Same here. Ring is aiming at both my garage doors from the exterior. It actually works out where I can monitor what's going on in the front of the house and see either door is open one, yeah. with one camera. Right. Yeah. Whatever solved the problem. It's nice to be able to yeah. do that. Yep. Yeah. I just, what, what was I doing last night? I was doing something and I was just out of routine. And so I just went to bed and I didn't, you know, typically I get up from my, I look at the cameras and I, you know, is everything good? And then I go to the garage door, open it, just visually check it to make sure it's closed, close it, lock the door. Well, my whole routine was messed up last night. So this morning when I'm driving off to work, I look at my phone and Sarah sends me a text message. Did you get up early and open the garage door? (laughs) I was like, no. (laughs) 
Boy. She's like, oh, it's open all night. Well, okay, we live in a great neighborhood, so I'm not too worried about it. But it was still the, I was like, oh, man, I bought this camera. <laughs> so that wouldn't happen. And then I haven't figured out where I'm going to put the routine to check the time. And then, hey, if the sensor's open, close the door. That's going to be an automatic thing that's just going to happen. Mm. That needs to happen every single time. Why, why would I? That's just that one fail safe thing for me that keeps me from leaving the door open. So Miros, M-E-R, I think it's M-E-R, M-E-R-O-O-S, O-S-S, Miros, $35 plugged right into the Genie. It supports a whole bunch of garage door openers, literally two wires and a USB cable. And I was, I was up and running pretty great. So, um, Paul, we've always had you on talking about, well, last couple years talking about Tesla. And I'll ask you the question that I ask everybody. You're two years right into this. You have you had one for two years now, or almost three? Three, a, a three years and a third or so. Yep. Okay. So it's been three. Um, three if you were making that decision today, still, you still head in that direction. Has it been? Is it been that? Has it been a good enough experience for you that you say? Or maybe the question's better, better asked this way: If you could, would you go back and choose a gas vehicle? Three years ago. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. When you say the word, there's no way my wife and I would ever drive a gas car. We were pretty clear on the previous ones. But has it been a perfect experience? Also no, right? So that's that's where I'm honest in my article. So that's where the EV decider comes in. So takeadro.com yeah, slash EV decider. Can you do me a favor? I'm having yeah. trouble sharing screens. Would you could would you take a second and share your EV decider page on on the screen here? And I'll bring it up so we can take a look at it. Oh, sure. Um, let me, uh, let me set. I mean, up. so I'm intrigued by it. You took some time to kind of work through a decision tree for anybody considering buying an electric vehicle. And, and so one, why would you, I mean, this isn't something you just did, you know, in a couple hours. I mean, I bet this thing took a while to put this decider tree together. Paul, why did, why'd you go through that process? What, 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 what's the benefit to you? To ha- helping other people decide on what kind of vehicle they buy. All right. Well, when I go to like um, Earth Day events and just hang out at a church parking lot and people walking by with their strollers and their kids and the hood's open, they're like, oh, you got no engine in there and strikes up a conversation about EVs. It's really helpful for me to be able to point to a single article where they got all excited, but there's still stuff to consider, like how far from the nearest service center are they or how often do they road trip? Those are crucial things. So I wanted to answer it all in one article. So I kind of had this in my head for a good year and then finally got it written uh, April 22nd. But this one I'll be updating. And uh, the premise here is, you know, Tesla is a safe choice. More than 80% of the U.S. market at the moment. Um, Great for road tripping. Absolutely. Um, Supercharger networks. Fantastic. And I've supercharged, uh, I think, 118 times at 82 locations. Flawless. Never got stranded. Never had a problem. So when Tony Rayner mentioned, you know, range anxiety, the cars always told me to when to get off an exit. It's be really hard to mess up and uh, run out of battery. Okay. So, but this article gets through all of that. It gets through, there's my table of contents. Oh, you do, know what? Do, do, do me a favor. Reset yeah. that for me and just share the page. Oh, it's showing uh, too much. You it, don't want to show the Yeah, it's too much. I, I, okay. I can't see the, uh, I just can't see it. I want to, so. Okay, so I'll share just that window. Yeah, for some reason, last week, for some reason, my browser is blocking me from sharing screens in in StreamYard. And it did it last week, and I should have fixed it, and I just didn't. So, is that better? uh, There we go. I'll bring it up on screen. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So, 
So this is certainly you come at it from a Tesla perspective to say, hey, let's um, I'll go jump back into the article for me, if you would. And you come at it from a Tesla perspective, but not Tesla's not going to be for everybody. I actually, I, I ran across an article this morning in the first quarter of 2022 for EV or EV-like vehicles. Uh, Tesla only represents 15% of the sales for the year, from the first, for, well, for the first quarter. So what, what there, and then there's, you know, there's a, some other companies that, that are, that are selling EVs that are having some success with it. Tesla only, only held back by just what they can deliver. In the first quarter of 2022, they delivered about 398,000 vehicles. The second place company, which I'm forgetting now who that is, uh, about uh, 300 and I think 312,000 units. Everybody's restricted kind of by parts. Yeah. So I think sometimes while we think Tesla is the leader, and they are in, in, in total, but the other manufacturers are beginning to catch up in, in sales because I think Tesla could probably be far and away the leader if they had enough parts to be able to make enough cars. They could sell more than they make. Yeah, they're ma- and, uh, they just opened Gigafactory Texas in Berlin. They're able to make about a million cars a year at this rate. But um, something like the Ford Mustang Mach-E, they're only making twenty to 40000 a year. They're way behind. And that's the legacy brand, Ford, right? Everyone's heard of them. So it's taken a long time to ramp up. Your numbers sound like they might be global, Jim. In the U.S., yeah. it's definitely yeah. a lot higher than yeah. 50%. Yeah, those are global. Those are China's global. doing very well in, in China, mm-hmm. and they're yeah. the number one market. So your numbers are definitely sounded you know, global. But anyhow, that aside, yes, there's more choices. However... Electrify America and a little bit of EVgo, but mostly Electrify America is what all of them are relying on, like the new somewhat anemic offerings from Subaru, the Solterra, which is a clone of, um, a to- of Toyota. The two of them paired up. They're all relying on people's willingness to stop at a Walmart parking lot where there's only four charging spots and sometimes one or two are broken. That's a problem. That scares me. So if someone's really going to road trip a lot, like more than once a year for the family vacation where they go 300 miles to some lake house or whatever, great. It doesn't matter what brand. They can probably find some sort of charging solution, not worry about it. Mm-hmm. But if they road trip a lot like me, where I did 25,000 miles in 2019 alone as a business traveler, leaving Connecticut and horrible traffic, getting to, the, for, let's say, uh, New Jersey at noon, I had to be at that business meeting on time. I had to know exactly how long my car is going to take to charge and what exit to get off. The car did all that flawlessly. I still cannot recommend any other car for that. Electrify American EVgo have enough horror stories of charging inabilities with new cars that come out. It can take them months or even years to just to get plug and go working, where you just plug the cable in and walk away from the car and it should just charge and charge your account. That still doesn't work for a lot of cars. Those are big barriers that really bother me. I'm I'm not, you know, it's not a healthy industry if you don't have a lot of competitors. And um, I'm not encouraging people to not buy the car. It's more if you've got cars with 200, 300 miles range now, like the very well-reviewed Hyundai Ionic 5, that thing's looking quite good, 47,000. Uh, you can still get rebates. Um, and if you don't, just don't take long road trips, more than like 100 mile or maybe 150 miles each day, where you can, even in the middle of the winter, drive there and back without charging, who cares about the fast charging network? It doesn't matter to you. Go buy it tomorrow. I'm all for that. They're going to mark you up 10 or 15,000, though, because they're back-ordered for months. Tesla's back-ordered a year, Jim. They cannot keep up with demand. The word of mouth after the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, they didn't even advertise on it. And the next day, their sale, their pre-orders spiked hugely. Just people are realizing from watching the Super Bowl, oh, six different companies that I've all heard of, Volvo, Polestar, a bunch of them are on there, kind of realizing 
yeah, the world really is going electric. And that to me is exciting. Like that's what's happened since you and I last talked almost, uh, I think almost two years ago. Uh, it's really mainstream. The bad news is though, the darn supply chain and the chip shortages mm -hmm. mean everything's backordered or marked up wildly. Mm -hmm. People order their lightning Ford F-150 lightning EV day one of pre-orders. But now when they're told they want to take delivery right here in Connecticut, I have a friend who went through this, the dealership, the local dealership wants to like, oh yeah, you can get an early place in line. You ordered early, but uh, I think they wanted 10 or 15,000 more just, you know, and that, that pads the profit of the dealer. It doesn't do Ford any good. doesn't help their bottom line. So that stuff worries me. The financial health of the legacy companies with the shenanigans that they go on with markups are not good for the industry. And then finally, electrify America's ability to electrify America in a competitive way to actually catch up to Tesla or exceed them. They should, because there's a whole lot of brands. They're not there yet. They're not even close. And that's what this article, let me scroll down in the article. Yeah. Here's a map for you, Jim. Uh, oh, there's market share and who's growing. You can see Tesla there, almost everyone else shrinking in red. That is a pretty clear graph of what's really going on. So great article to read, but then you scroll down and let's look at the chargers. There we go. Here's Electri America. Where you live is not looking too good, Jim. <laughs> look at that map. <laughs> it's getting yeah. better. It's getting better. I know, better. but that's still pretty terrible. Time. Yeah. You can't yeah. drive north. I mean, you're out no. of luck. Why would you? <laughs> well, still, maybe you have family in Edmonton. Who knows? But it's a problem. It's a no-go. Yeah. Right. Test that you can. So yeah. anyhow, there's a big difference in the map for those looking at video. But um, so I linked to that way near the top of my article. So I've asked people, do you road trip a lot? If you do, you're going to care about this map and go check what's the route to grandma's house and use a better route planner to figure it out and how long you'd have to charge and all that. So let's say you buy a, um, a car with an anemic charge rating, like a Ford F-150 Lightning. It's got a big battery pack and only 150 kilowatts. Well, a better route planner will tell you, you're going to be stopping for an hour and a half for your 300-mile th trip in the middle of winter to so-and-so's house. That's a long stop. A Tesla will typically do that. It's a smaller car, but do that between 20 and 40 minutes stop to get you all the way there if you're just a little bit out of range. So those are major considerations. Um, mm -hmm. Charging speed on a lot of new cars, they're missing the boat. Chevy Silverado, they nailed it. They went with a much faster charger, but they're also coming to market a year later after Ford. So Silverado is exceeding Ford in every way, including a range, it looks like. Um, but again, seeding market share. They're coming out later. Anyhow, so yeah, the article goes on to explain gas savings as part of it here in Connecticut. Electricity is quite high, so the gas savings are less amazing. So I spent, uh, here I show up a typical month, in March of 2022, 80% of my charging was at home, 20% on road trips. So you can see basically me going to Boston or New York in the snowstorm and miserable weather and rain and wind. Well, that meant my range was reduced a bit, so I did have to stop. So you see some red spots. So I spent 100 bucks on electricity. I would have spent 290 on gas. Not bad for one month. It gives you an idea. But is that the reason to buy the car? Well, again, if you're a business driver like me, yeah, maybe. But most people don't think about that quite as much, although gas prices have certainly gone up. And then finally, um, I tell people that are just less informed about what's the difference between Model 3 and Model Y. You know, headroom, if someone elderly is getting in out of the back seat, you're going to find a Model Y a better buy, but it's going to cost you more. And it's the hottest car, so you're going to wait even longer. So yeah, and then here's our two cars. My wife quickly replaced her car once mine died too, our old Honda Civics. Mm -hmm. So markups are the biggest problem industry-wide. I don't want to bash dealers unfairly. They're just struggling with everyone else. So they're making all the profit they can because everything's backordered. So when the used cars sell more than new ones, well, why would a dealer sell it for MSRP? I get it. It's just a real big problem right now uh, for all cars, not just EVs. And then finally, the decider, decider has these many questions to ask yourself. Are you okay with the backlog? Can you wait four to 12 months for your car? If your answer is no, 
then I just direct you right over to some other brand of EV, right? It's that simple. Um, you're not getting a Tesla anytime soon unless you're willing to pay higher than the MSRP for a used car. That's how goofy it is. Uh, if people want the car right now, they might sometimes mm -hmm. do that. All right, Jim, and I know your audience all over the country in Midwest, right? I want to get into this one. This is pretty cool. National Highway Traffic Safety, through this insurer, they published this thing about car fires. All of the hullabaloo about Chevy Bolt, which was bad, we had to recall them, but overall hybrids per 100,000 cars, 3,700, sorry, 3,400 uh, fires per 100,000 cars. Gas, 1,500 fires per 100,000 cars. Electric, 25 fires <laughs> per 100,000. So all the press, when you read about a Tesla crashing a battery from five, three years ago in a Model S. Probably well, has very little to do with today's world. Uh, and we got to remember, though, that the, the these numbers are based on still pretty low percentages of electric EV vehicles representing the total base of cars, right? That are out there. I mean, so yeah, we would it should be low, right? So it'll be interesting to see when electric vehicles represent fifty percent of the car market if those numbers still statistically hold true, you know? Um, not, this is I'm just doubting, one of many data points. The safety, but yeah, the percentage is much lower, yeah, though, of a much, car spontaneously. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it, it takes a very significant wreck to impinge upon the battery pack. Yeah. And it keeps it from tipping over. It's way down low, the center of gravity. Lots of, no, right lots on, of, right on. Yeah. I, I think, and, you know, battery technology continues to get better. And yep. so I think, I think that it, it could and should be the story the safety story going forward i mean if we can get we've already seen gigantic um you know improvements in safety on both styles of vehicles by introducing you know the subaru we have eyesight on the on some of the other vehicles right volvo almost yep. guarantees you'll never crash right because of that think about the tesla and it's what it's got available to it so that should bring some level of safety anyway I want it would be interesting to take a look at those same numbers, then consider then not don't split them by electric hybrid gas, split them by cars that have safety features and those that don't. <laughs> so Jim, I'll right? say this. I think I mentioned this in the previous time I appeared. The number one factor for my wife and I shopping was safety. The Model mm -hmm. 3 was the safest car tested mm -hmm. ever, ever tested when we bought it in 2018. 2019, it got tested in Australia and Europe, same results. Mm -hmm. So the rollover risk, the crush resistance of the roof, all of it. Just head and shoulders about accident avoidance as well as just safety if you actually have a wreck. So, but it, so that's fires aside, way more likely is what's my likelihood of injury getting from point A to point Correct. B? Correct. And that's part yeah. of our shopping. So, if that's important to you, well, Tesla's still above most of the others, although as there's more EVs coming out, they're proving to be generally as a category very safe vehicles because of that low center of gravity. Flipping over is not good for uh, fatality risk, right? So, no, in no. general, EVs do well, very well. And let having me, a motor in the front. Yeah, go ahead. No motor. Right, let me let me go back to um, those those numbers I had earlier. They oh, were sure, the They are global numbers, and they're plug-in numbers. So they include both EV cars and hybrid plug-ins, right? So they're they're including any vehicle that can plug in at this point. Globally, well, in the first quarter of 2022, Tesla does lead still leads that space with 310,000, about 15 percent market share globally on those sales. BYD, which is a is a, a a motor company I'd never heard of, BYD Motors. Yeah, China. Um, yeah, they they build. You know, they, they're big. They're big. They're fourteen point three or two hundred eighty five thousand vehicles. These are registered vehicles, by the way, not made but registered. And then 
SAIC, which includes SAIC, GM, and, and Wooling, 140, uh, 140, no, sorry, 170,000 or 8%. Volkswagen, which I didn't, ex- the Volkswagen group, I didn't expect to see that in there being, they're number four, 154,000 or 8% share. And then Greeley Volvo, which you'd kind of expect in there, 110,000 or 5% market share. The top five represent a million vehicles or half of the 2 million plug-in vehicles that were sold and registered in the first quarter of 2022. The others, you know, 965,000 or so um, uh, represent the rest. So just kind of an interesting, I mean, um, Paul, certainly none of those other car companies show up in the conversation. When, when we talk about EVs, it's Tesla, 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 Tesla. But there are other, you know, well, one, I don't know if BYD's, uh, they have via, I don't know if they have are selling vehicles in the United States. So that's why they're not showing up. Yeah. But GM is for sure. Volkswagen should be and Volvo should be available. Audi, Subaru, like you mentioned, Honda has mentioned, has, has begun to push some of their plug-in vehicles um, out. So Mm, barely. Uh, they're anemic yeah, effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toyota was yeah. actively lobbying yeah, against Toyota. EVs as recently as two years ago. So now when right. they came up with a new one, the range is only 224 miles. Its charging rate is the slowest ever tested by most of the bloggers that had their hands on it uh, the last week. That is not good. It could take you hours at a DC fast charger. That bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading Subaru's equivalent, the clone. I think it was their website that said, if you buy this car, you get 10 free rentals for a gas car if you're planning to take road trips. What does <laughs> it say about your product when you know the 224 miles range is much less in the winter when it's cold and your audience is reluctant to buy an electric car and they go and buy yours, but they got to go rent a car from you to get a gas one for extra range for their, that just, that's just not good. Coming out with a car that's upper 40,000 or 50,000 with 224 miles of range is not a smart move at this point to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus they're losing the $7,500 rebate because the Prius hurt them because now the sales plug-in hybrids go against that federal rebate as well as battery. Oh, I should mention that you mentioned car fire. So hybrid is the word they use there. Sometimes they call them uh, also, PHEVs, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, versus BEVs, which is what Tesla's. Tesla's were always BEVs. There was never a gas motor of any kind. So you'll hear that interchangeably used, but for the most part, people don't say BEV, they just say EV. And they tend to mean, when they're talking about Tesla, certainly, or Hyundai Ionic or whatever the new ones, they're talking about battery electric vehicles that have no onboard gas of any kind. Just important to point that out. It's confusing, though. Yeah. So if you ever hear the word BEV, you mean, they mean battery electric vehicle, which is pretty much synonymous with EV mm-hmm. for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyhow, range is the next one. And I talk about winter, how you take a hit heat pumps. We could talk about more if you want, because that definitely applies to homes. We'll get into that. I'm trying to replace the, uh, I'm trying to stop using natural gas in my home here in Connecticut. So there's ways to do that now using heat pumps, uh, utility about, you know, model three, model Y or what size of car, how big it needs to be hatchback road trips, which car would you have your grandma or mom buy, you know, driving from Connecticut to Florida safely. It's still a Tesla. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of choices they're getting better electrify America along the major quarters like 95, but let's say you're having someone drive a thousand miles to a rural place like Mississippi from Connecticut. That is not so good. Those routes are still pretty spotty and not a lot of chargers for electro America. So that's why Tesla's are selling so well in the U S parts and service and repairs, not their strong suit. Uh, the whole car industry has people waiting five, six, seven months after a minor fender bender for a rear bumper or whatever. So parts are supply, you know, constrained Tesla's no exception. And um, they're not known for excellent communications when you're cutting your car repaired. So most of the time they can do it with mobile service. 
And that was true for me. I had a couple of minor things fixed right in my driveway, which was awesome. But if you live far from a service center, you have a, even a minor warranty, uh, sorry, uh, um, recall issue of any kind. If you live two hours from a Tesla service center, that's something you need to know before you buy the car. You can't be all surprised that no one else is going to fix your recall issue. And if you live two hours away, well, picking it up, it's not that big a deal to pick up your car from far away. But what about a service? You, you have to think about that stuff. Um, okay. And I get into some hasty decisions Tesla's made. They change their prices. They're pretty fickle. Well, dealerships change their prices. Well, Tesla.com is where you order your Tesla, but they change the price as well. That's something you have to deal with. So if you order the car, it might go up or it might go down after you place an order. Um, they're everywhere. Uh, you know, if you're looking for a niche car that no one else has, that's no longer Tesla, right? Especially if you go to a place like California with a million a year coming out, they're already way more successful than the Prius ever was. So that they're, I, I own the most, you know, safest, most popular and longest range, uh, sorry, most efficient EV ever made, the Model 3 from 2018. And those records still haven't been broken, which is kind of amazing. Um, fit and finish. Okay. Some people are very bothered by something like that. My wife's car did have the roof glass realigned after delivery and a bumper piece of plastic uh, realigned one visit and they fixed both of those. It's done. It had no further visits, no other service for her car. She's got a 2020 model three. No big deal. So you read all kinds of horror stories about fit and finish. Well, luckily it didn't strike my family. I got to a lot of wise. They've made them for two years now. Tesla's done a lot, getting a lot better reviews for their fit and finish for initial quality. And then finally, bumpy ride or noise. They're on the sporty side for sure. So if you like a soft ride on the highway that absorbs bumps and is super quiet, Tesla might not be for you. There are quieter cars from BMW and Audi that'll do better at super high speeds like Texas where you drive 90 miles an hour. Um, backing up. Are you cool with backing up to charge? Some people just absolutely break out and sweat backing up. Well, you got a giant backup screen on Tesla Model 3 and Model Y. But you do need to be aware that charging is from the back left corner on all of them. So that's why my article covers that. And then finally, full self-driving. Fine. If you have a problem with it, just skip it. But it's making the whole fleet safer with eight cameras watching everywhere you drive. The people that are part of the beta, like me, they're making your car safer and better at avoiding access down the road. So it's nothing really to frown upon. Just don't buy it. Don't add that feature. And then well, finally, it's you know, still you know, not working, right? I mean, no, it's a full self-driving. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's still not. They're still struggling with it. But... So I know, I think Tony, or let's see, someone made a comment when you were talking on uh, a recent podcast, we had a Model Y owner on, right? And mentioned about highway driving and fatigue. Yeah, uh, they do a really good job. So here I am driving to Boston and New York and stop and go traffic, insanely miserable New York traffic on a Friday mm -hmm. afternoon at 5 mm -hmm. p.m. I'm leaving. What idiot does that? But you know what? <laughs> I arrived with plenty of range, I had extra range, it was actually a warm day. When you're going slower speeds, your EVs do better. So not only do you not have range design, the car tells you exactly what exit to get off and how long you'll need to charge to make it to your intended destination, but it reduces risk by and stress by stop and go traffic all the way down to zero. So a lot of cars, even you know Toyota Corollas that I've rented, I've rented about a hundred different cars from Hertz over the last 20 years. So I've been in a lot of cars. They're getting better, right? Don't get me wrong. A lot of them have lane centering, mm -hmm. but to have tight turn radius lane centering, even on the highway, it'll never disengage. The Tesla will handle highways perfectly and stop and go all the way down to zero miles an hour, all the way back up to 68 or whatever you had your speed set to and read the speed signs, speed limit signs and change the speed accordingly. Tesla's nailed all that. So miserable traffic from New York should have taken me two hours. Took me, I think it was closer to four getting home, but I was still fine and, and 
in a decent mood and my car handled it fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't run out of battery. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my point of an article like that is just saying, here's real world stuff. And by the way, it cost me $13 for Connecticut's expensive electricity to get my 225 miles to New York City and back from where I live in Connecticut. Week earlier, I drove to Boston, 55 degrees Fahrenheit less, snowing, 24 Fahrenheit, miserable conditions and wind. All right, my range was 100 miles per gallon instead of 147 miles per gallon equivalent. And it cost me 17 electricity instead of 14 for roughly the same distance. So snow does slow you down and impede, you know, because you're driving on slush. It's physics. So if you read this article and get through articles that are that nerdy and that long and you still, you're ready to buy it and place your order, great. You're probably going to be really grinning like me three years later and 56,000 miles. I still have a blast every time I sit in the car. And that's the point here. And then finally, I mm-hmm. give people tips on how to actually order. Don't finance it, pay cash, whatever. You'll get it quicker. Finance it from your own bank. Don't, you know, whatever. There's some little tips there too. And then finally, Marcus Brownlee says, pre-electric car, pre-order problem. Great video he did. It's a major problem, whether it's a Ford F-150 Lightning, a Cybertruck, um, Rivian R1T, whatever you're waiting for. You're probably waiting one, two, three more years, getting your place in line and having that money actually means and that arrival date means something it's been very bad Rivian's not been doing well meeting their delivery targets and dates everyone's struggling with that and then finally supply chains right now everyone's having trouble making evs period so you're going to sell everyone that can make everything you saw in the super bowl will sell out very quickly even if it's a mediocre ev because there's just not enough cars to go around i think i think it's going to slow down a little bit i think we're going to I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think, I think EVs uh, are going to go quicker than people the, think. I don't think the numbers, I, like, I don't know how long we can continue to spend into this, whatever we're trying to do with ourselves in this economy, but just continuing to buy and buy and buy. It just doesn't, the financials oh, yeah. just don't make sense. So, like, yeah, at yeah. some point, this has got to stop. Like, at some point, people got to go, can't spend $110,000 for a vehicle. Like the average person, you know, when I went to go buy the Cybertruck, it was 50. It's probably, I think it's 62 now at this point, And it continues to climb. Like those things continue to climb in price, Paul. I think at some point we're, we've well, got, it's got, the average consumer has got to go. Yeah. I just can't do this anymore. <laughs> like it's not it at some of these price points that we're projecting when I went, you know, in, in 2021, when I bought the Subaru, you know, I bought it for 25 new. And that's half the price of what the EVs were selling for at that time. And now a third cheaper than a lot of them are selling for right now. And I, I just don't see how those numbers are sustainable, like in the long term. At some point, the American consumer has to go, yeah, I can't, I can't pay that anymore. Oh, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. When I said yeah. I think it might be wrong in the EV adoption curve, I was thinking the hockey stick of people buying, yes, if we keep up and make enough batteries and the prices stay stable or start to drop again like they should, yeah, yeah we'll do well. Yeah. If we're the <laughs> current state, we're nothing like Norway, where 80% plus, I think maybe they hit 90% of their new car sales are, e- are EVs, but they have federal and tax incentives to do so right. when you're living right. in Norway. Right. It makes a huge difference because it, it takes the sting, the pain, the pain difference, yeah. uh, the price difference yeah. out of the way. So I know I agree it's it's challenging times right now. I'm hoping revisiting this in two years, factories have scaled up. Tesla's doing a remarkable job of it, though. It's hard to deny that this number and these ridiculous graphs of their growth, all the competitors are really hurting. VW, more than half their sales rely on China, and VW's sales last quarter tanked by like 30% in one quarter. So now they're really hurting, even though they're making the ID4 and making a good effort and go of it to go to electric. Even they're having trouble going. It's not an easy thing to do, no, and no. especially for legacy. So whereas Tesla is successfully making a million a year, 
um, run rate. And now they just open another factory. It wouldn't be long before we get to 2 million. And um, that's a chance of making a sizable difference in the, in the fleet of America. Cause we're only 3% but like or something. It point. wouldn't take much for one piece of their supply chain to collapse on itself. And then they would, they too could be stuck with, I mean, they could sell, they're, they're underproducing what they could sell right now. They can, they can sell more assuming people will keep paying these prices, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I just, prices are a big problem. Yep. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, we're in this weird, we're in this weird spot that I think everybody who can buy them, this is going to be a broad generalization, Yep. but everybody who can buy them and afford them has done that. And there'll still, still be some out there, but I'm just, the average guy is kind of looking at these prices now and going, I mean, and it's, it's not like gas cars are any cheaper either. I, like they've gone up in price as well. And so this, the average consumer is looking at these new cars, if they can get them and they're like, Oh geez, this was, this is 30 to 40% higher than I anticipated, you know, just a year ago. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be at some point, some point, something's got to give in, in the whole automobile market, not just EVs, not just, you know, gas vehicles. Well, I don't want to sound too glum, but the average American car, 40000 which is expensive. Imagine car, I just said, not EV. Hyundai Ioniq yeah. coming in right at that price, their base right. model. And we interviewed a guy here, um, right here in Connecticut. He leads the uh, Tesla Owners Club of Connecticut and uh, also owns a Model 3, as well as a Hyundai Ioniq 5. And um, it's got fast road tripping and charging. So there's a car where you still get a rebate. So you can get a rebate off your 47,000. Mm-hmm. That's quite favorable. That's cheaper. And mm-hmm. that's actually, if you can find a dealer, it's not going to mark it up five or 10 grand. Right. There's, spread, right. there's spreadsheets right. on Reddit where, you know, younger people that actually reread it, find the spreadsheet. will just drive to Massachusetts or somewhere out of Connecticut to get their car without that 5,000 or $10,000 mm-hmm. markup. Mm-hmm. And I've met two people who have done that. So I don't want to sound so dire. It's not that we're finally mm-hmm. getting cars in this price point in 2022 that are finally being delivered in decent numbers. Not, you know, 2,000 or 5,000, but 20, 30,000. And that's South Korea. That's Hyundai. That's doing well there. Um, Jim, the other thing I'll say too is just globally, if you're making a car and it relies on a whole bunch of third parties like Detroit, where you basically design the car, but the parts come from all over the world, you design almost nothing. The seats come from one place, the electronic control module from another. You're really beholden to all those supply chain holding up. Tesla's done a whole lot more vertical integration internally and make a whole lot more other stuff, including their seats, a lot of electronics. So they can multi-source or even make a lot of their own components. That's why they've been able to pump out cars and have their sales figures grow, even though the very, very dire state the rest of the industry is in. So I know I'm sounding total fanboy here, but this chart really shows compared to 20, the change between 2021 and 2019, it's dismal for Fiat, Infiniti, Dodge, Lincoln, Chevrolet, Cadillac, GMC, Ford, Subaru. They're all hurting big time. The only one that's way ahead Porsche and Tesla somehow keeping up through the supply chain mm-hmm. and then BMWs get their lunches getting eaten by model three sales. So, and they're actually number third right behind Porsche. So, so I don't know, interesting times ahead, but you're right. We're in a two year weird phase. Hopefully it's not two more years of this with the supply chain constraints. Well, uh, and let's not, let's not forget. There was a time when Ford GM, you know, the American car manufacturers controlled their supply chains. Like they, yeah. this isn't a new, this isn't new to making cars to to make you know to own all the components of them. There were times in Detroit where that happened. We found in the seventies and eighties those car manufacturers found they could squeeze the price out of it if they had competition in the parts, and the market was stable enough to support that. And so they began to outsource all those components to their vehicle manufacturing, 
put the squeeze and kind of the onus of responsibility, just to be honest, on outside manufacturers because they found in the long haul that was better financially for them than owning the whole supply chain, right? So it'll be interesting to see how that, how this V2 version of this that Tesla is doing, will will that work for them? Will that be, you know, it's very expensive to own your own supply chain. When you make the batteries, you take all the responsibility for the making, designing, manufacturing, building of those. And to squeeze costs out of it, you got to squeeze it out of yourself. It's much yep. easier to put the squeeze on a third-party manufacturer or competition and squeeze those down. Now we know when when vehicle manufacturers do that, the quality always goes down. And the lawsuits then come and get squeezed, right? This is a cycle that we go through. So I think it'll be interesting to see in this, this V2 version of this, how long will Tesla be able to support the total ownership of the supply chain when price pressures start to be introduced again. Today, they sell something, they get their asking price or more because people because the early adopters are just paying whatever it takes to get it. What happens when it reaches GA and the average consumer is buying it and is expecting it to be cheaper than it is, than it is, right? What happens when they have to make a car for the average person? I guess is what I'm saying. I guess my uh, polite reply will be even Herbert Dies, the CEO of VW, saying, hmm, in Germany, it takes us 16, 18 hours to make a car from when it's first started till it rolls off the line. Tesla's doing it eight hours right in their backyard in Germany now. That's almost embarrassing. They pump out a car by casting this giant zinc cast with front and back aluminum, excuse me. Looks kind of like the die cast zinc cars of our childhood, Jim. Um, where you stamp out the front end of the car and the front back end of the car, replacing 200 parts each. And dozens of multi-million dollar robots and a much shorter assembly line. So they're able to make a, it's the most productive factory in the world is Tesla Gigafactory in Texas. So that has the most density and the ability to pump out the most cars of any factory in the world. So it's also the biggest factory. So that's, of any company, they seem to be doing it, Jim. I mean, they've been doing it for a decade and my car, the Wild 3 has been wildly successful pumping yeah. it out, including before the price went up, they're already profitable. So they do know how to get a profit. They have a higher, you're nodding your head. Their profits are looking a whole lot better than competitors, Jim, as far as the markup. They can make those Model 3s cheaper and cheaper, but getting smarter and smarter about how they make them, and they still charge the same price, meaning they're making more profit over time because they're constantly innovating the factory. Yeah. Tesla's really about the factory in, in innovations, yeah. and that's the part that's hard. You know. And again, I don't own any stock in Tesla, but I just no, that out. No, yeah, um, no, it's a good, I mean, it's a good argument, not one I intended to go down. I, I love talking about yeah, this kind of stuff, though, but we, yeah. we, we saw Ford do this in the 70s and 80s. In, in this, in that sense of being a, you know, uh, of some of the innovations that now we look back at that today and go, eh, but that's the hindsight of history of looking back yeah. and saying, right. I, I kind of wonder as we look back, as we get through this time, it, it, and it looks great for Tesla today, but will that change in the future when everybody can catch them, right? When everybody can do... Yeah, Volvo can't do it now, or BMW can't do it now, or Mercedes can't do it now, but it won't be long before they can. And so Jim, what happens when they when they just copy those, like everybody else copied the Detroit, right? And drove Detroit into the ground. I mean, Detroit was the the 
the city on a hill for fifties and sixties. It looked like it would never go anywhere. And yet in the seventies and eighties, uh, you know, um, uh, Asia manufacturing crushed them. Right. You know, I just wish I was seeing more cars, Jim, where they seem to get it. And I'm not like a lot of them have yeah. this giant barn door front end. That's terrible coefficient of friction. Yeah. And they just put a bigger battery yeah, in there and no, make the car no. heavier. They, yeah. that's not competitive yeah. with Tesla. There's nothing right. smart about right. that. That worries it's, me. It's also, yeah, no, right on, but it's also a microcosm. We're only a couple of years into this thing where they, you know, Tesla got such a far jump on this to, in a, they had the benefit of starting with nothing. So they could come at this with no pre, you know, with no, you, you see some of these car manufacturers trying to retrofit their gasoline ideas into EV ideas. And we just know that's just not going to work. Yeah. They'll survive. You know, the, Maybe. the not ones on the bottom will die yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. And the, the, I, I think some of them will figure it'll be interesting a decade. I mean, it's, this isn't next year, right? I mean, I think it'll yeah. take a decade to kind of wash this out, but I, 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 you know, I'm, I, yes, Tesla is a shiny, you know, a shiny tower on a hill today, but, but, I think there's some folks coming after him, and I think this would be could be pretty interesting in the next you know five to ten years. Oh, I agree. It's good for the yeah. industry to have folks. Yeah, who you want to help the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you want to hope so for sure. Um, at this point, I'd hope there were more. Honestly, after following this industry more carefully the last three years, but yeah. Hey, um, in the in the final minutes here, you're showing the notes, which is awesome. Let Let's talk about health fitness apps because we had John Biggs okay. on here the other day, and uh, John was talking about a patch to, you know, to monitor his, his, um, his glucose and all the things he's been doing. Paul, what, what, what approaches are you taking to health? I mean, what, what are the gadgets you're using right now to, uh, to be healthy? Yeah, I'm looking down at my phone here. Um, so my older son alerted me to some new stuff in highlighting kind of overall fitness in the health app on a phone. So yes, I've got an Apple watch now for, I guess, three years. And yeah, it's looking at my pulse at work. There was this app called version pulse where we're incented to join our teammates and kind of compete and show how many steps we do versus other teams at Dell, you know, nice little com- competition, basically a um, little embarrassing. You're there for a month and then you can see how ridiculously uh, number- some people are exercising for hours every day, you know, doing <laughs> five, seven, eight, nine miles. And I don't have the time for them. So anyhow, whether it's treadmill or running around outdoors, oh my gosh, I get a little, a little bored, a little too ADD for that. So I'll watch, you know, Amazon prime or something while I'm on a treadmill, whatever. But the point is I do like things like, um, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, I'm having trouble finding it. Um, both the health app and the fitness app. I've started to learn to dig into them a little more to learn a little bit more about myself. Right. So I'll look at, say, a two-mile walk on the treadmill at 4.5 miles an hour and look at my heart rate as it climbs and compare over time as I do that for every day for a month straight. Do I see improvement? That's that's the kind of stuff that motivates me, right, to start to see some numbers and mass. So it's really cool when you had some guests on talking about fitness and yeah. some of the long-term things. And, you know, food goes into it and, and um, 23andMe you brought up. And actually, yep. I didn't quite finish listening. I'm going to finish that one while I'm driving to Boston tomorrow with my wife. So Have you good. done 23andMe? No, I've not. No. Would you? Um, would you? I don't know. Let me, let me uh, stay tuned until I listen to the rest of your podcast. Maybe your guest will convince me. Um, I know the story he told though about his brother dying prematurely, right. Yeah. And him giving him a, a better shot at maybe not dying in the same way. Yeah. He thought it was just because he was overweight his brother. Well, it turns out it wasn't right. There was, he was also right. predisposed. So that was pretty compelling stuff there, Jim. That was, a, that was a good interview. Really good. 
John did it. John did a nice job um, that that day and walking through it. I listen. I've gone back and forth on Twenty Three and Me, Paul, and not from a privacy standpoint, and yeah. not even from a health standpoint. I I, I don't know. Like yeah. I go to order the kit, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. If you learn something really dire, will it do the rest no. of you, you any good? Yeah, I, no, I don't worry about that. At this, at this you don't worry about age, that? Okay. No, I don't. I don't. No, it's, I don't know. It's, it's one of those weird, it's just one of those weird things with me where I just go, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical, but I'm also like, is it really worth it? And it's only a hundred bucks. So it's not like it's that expensive but mm-hmm. I've, I've just really struggled as soon as john we got off the show with john i was gonna go like okay i'm gonna order the kit tonight and then the next morning i didn't you know and i was like i don't know i don't know if i i don't know if i want to know that much you know well, <laughs> just just one of those one of those kinds of things no, so, I, hear, I, I hear you um to know yeah. something about or something is going to worry you unnecessarily kind of like how i feel about uh well just tying it back to ring, seeing what yeah. thefts are happening a, a mile away from you. Is that relevant to my, I've lived in this house 27 years. Is it relevant to me to know what's happening a mile or two from here at the edge of a city where it's always been worse? Now I just get to know about it if I turn on the ring neighbors feature. Does that make my own life any better? Or does it just put more fear in me, which is unfounded because nothing's really yeah. changed in my neighbor. You know, I don't know. But anyhow, well, back to no, no yeah. hold on. Let's not go back yeah. for a second because yeah, I think right. there's an okay. interesting question. No, there's an interesting question in this. And do you enjoy? I for I, you I've been I've been um, thinking a lot about this idea of happiness and enjoyment, right? Mm. In in those those two emotions that, regardless of what you do for you, is it bringing happiness or enjoyment in what you're doing? Yeah. So you talk about like knowing the safety of or knowing the lack of safety that's going on in your neighborhood. Is that bringing happiness or enjoyment to you? Well, for some people, knowing they're safe is is better than not knowing they're safe. For me, I look at those things and I, you know, I, I monitor them for about a week and then I I go 10 or 12 weeks without even looking at the app, right? Because I just don't, it doesn't bring me any enjoyment. You've had so, someone break into your car and you're still that chill, Jim. No, that's impressive. But that's a healthy outlook. So anyhow, yeah. with my wife, I was a little concerned. Yeah, she'll be it's kind of like doom scrolling, right? It's not for me. I don't enjoy watching five videos like that of someone pulling on door right. handles and driveways a mile right. or two from where I live. Does that do me right. much good? Yeah. My wife, though, she's totally into it and loves the ring system for that. And that was one of my fears when buying. Like, right. do I really want that yeah. feature? Is that going to do something for me? I don't know. So yes, like most people, you have misgivings about any tech you buy. There's yeah. pluses and minuses. No, I just, um, I think oftentimes we need to think like, um, I, to go back to the Tesla com- conversation, like mm-hmm. I've watched both you and Ed really enjoy their Teslas and get into them and, you know, the things in, in you, you more than Ed, but Ed's really enjoyed his. And I kind of go, you know, I think in, in the Subaru I bought, it's got this huge dash console, you know, this big 17 inch screen and all these things available to me. And I'd use them for like a week. And then I was like, it's a car that I drive. You know, and I, and, and I, the, the enjoyment of it for me left pretty quick because I just don't, I, I just don't get into the, to the, to like, I like it for a week. That's what's great about being the host of this show is I can interview people like you who love, like, who love doing this kind of stuff, but I would never be able to, I just wouldn't find enjoyment in it long term. I just want to, just want to drive it right now. That doesn't mean I shouldn't have bought a Tesla, but. The, the point of the thing is, is I'm trying to think, 
what's bringing me happiness and enjoyment in the things that I'm using, you know, and, in too many stats sometimes brings me down, you know? Yeah. Just out of put a little a bow in it. I'll say in our life for us being uh, cooped up and having restrictions on eating at restaurants and stuff, my wife, it was a huge blessing to just have a picnic, sit in our Tessa and watch Netflix <laughs> on the horizontal screen. That's three and a half years almost uh-huh. into our ownership. We absolutely enjoy yeah. those features and use yeah. them when the cars part, whether it's supercharging or just enjoying nature or looking at blue yeah. clouds floating overhead or I, love it. I can drive 38 miles and get to the Atlantic ocean, see the beach yeah. and just sit there and eat lunch with my wife. That has been such a huge mental health blessing yeah. Yeah. for us. Not for everyone. Mm-hmm. I know some people don't give a hoot about any electronics in right. the car, but this is the one car I actually use those electronics well into the ownership. And for yeah. me, it's, it's been very good. That's not even, that has nothing to do with driving. It has to do with sitting there parked. Well, you know, enjoying nature. So we're all a little different. It's fine. I, I think that's, I think that's a perfect story on happiness and enjoyment and like doing the things that bring brings you joy. joy. Brings you joy, right? And the world's and, learned that in the last two years. Yeah. On that. No, yeah. no, right on. I, you know, and there's so much available to us, you know, just that now to come first circle back to 23 and me, there's so yeah. many things available to us. And I just kind of go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's one of those I need for me. And, and some people would say, oh, no, you need to know. There's, you know, there's some conversation going on in the chat room. Tony says, test coming to possibly predict Alzheimer's disease, right? Yeah, um, 20, yeah. yeah. you know, um, and, it, and I kind of go, I, I kind of want to live in a little bit of ignorant bliss. Yeah, no, I hear you. you. Know? Yeah, the rest of yeah. your days on this planet, are they, is it going to improve the likelihood of them being better or yeah. a good well, chance of them being worse? Some people would say, I can't live knowing that. No, or not knowing it. Well, okay, then do it. <laughs> like if you're adopted, right? If you're yeah, if this right. cloud over your head your whole life, you're wondering what is my history and you want to know it. Well, maybe that's the person to do it. It's but I'd say it's one of those things not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cardio fitness is the thing I get into VO2 max. That's the number I was looking mm-hmm. at. So my son tipped me off for that. And it's something where I can look at, am I trending up? Does my heart recover faster after exercise? I like that stuff. That stuff is what motivates me. Those are yeah. nerdy things though. Most people don't yeah. want to look at a graph or interpret it. It's not for everyone, but having the data and have my watch gather for it. Yeah. That's been a blessing. I've done a good job with looking at my heart rate and all that stuff when I'm getting on a treadmill. And, and I go in cycles. So I'd follow that VO two max for a couple of weeks and then I would stop because it just get boring. And then I'd be like, okay, I need something else to like, what's the next thing I could track And So for me, I like to cycle through all those things. I just don't have any, I don't have any durability in over the long term. Although I've done 533 of these, so I've got a little durability somewhere. But uh, for those kinds of things, you know, I get into it for a couple of weeks, and and I'm like, uh, uh, you know, and then then I move on to the next thing. So it, it's, I think, for I think for a lot of people, it's finding that sweet spot for yourself, and then just living it, like living it and enjoy it for what it is don't try to necessarily live in someone else's sweet spot. You know, don't, yeah. don't, uh, for the longest time, I, I always felt guilty. I'm not a very good reviewer. Like, you know, you, you are Paul, you're great at reviewing stuff. You're thorough, you're consistent, you're fair, you're articulate. Like you're a great reviewer. And I always thought to be a podcaster, I had to be a great reviewer. And it took a long time for me to go, yeah, I just don't want to do reviews. I hate them. that's the last thing I want to do. Right. I I just don't want to do them. And man, when I stopped, when I gave myself permission to not be a review podcast Mm -hmm. kind of guy, that's the best day of my life. 
not really, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no. You know, yeah. So, anyways, I don't know why I'm getting all philosophical on everybody, but hey, it's been ten years we've known each other. It's a good time to get I know, philosophical. It's, I know. it's a long time. That's awesome. Paul, anything else? Um, you did you did yeah, mention other... meal some meal kits? Can I? Because we we've been big Hello Fresh fans. Mm. Have you have you? It looks like you compared maybe a couple others in in that market. Did you? Yeah, find well, I think it was four years ago. Maybe you started talking about uh, yeah, Home Chef or something like it. I'm not sure when you first did, but you you motivated me. And I got started and did that for a bit. My um, at that point, finally, my job let me work from home more, so I'd be the one trying to cook and have it ready when my wife got home. So I managed to do that for about a year and a half, maybe two. Quite good. You're right. Absolutely delicious. So certainly the best stuff I've ever cooked in my life because I have no idea what I'm doing, but I could follow a recipe <laughs> card, right? So it made me look like a hero, but it's oh, it's yeah. work, you know, from when I first Chef go to the hero. kitchen till I'm done cleaning up and loading the dishwasher. I didn't always, you know, take an hour and a half or hour and 15. And I like blogging is my happy place. Or there's an article mm-hmm. in my head and I'm just like, I want to be done with it. So we, we covered a real eats, which is just bags of pre-cooked food in a vacuum sealed bag, where now all you got to do is boil it or microwave it. You can leave it in the bag and warm it up and then serve it. But we did that shave time. So now in 20 to 30 minutes from getting into the kitchen till serving and putting loading the dishwasher, you're looking at like 40 minutes tops. That was appealing. But like many things in life, it got a little old after a year and a half or two. And then finally, now my wife's home more and actually taking over cooking. So we've you know married 31 years. You take different roles at different points mm-hmm. in your marriage and, mm-hmm. and jobs and all that. So she's just a fantastic cook and she's been able to make low carb uh, stuff and get creative in the kitchen. I, I have zero creativity in the kitchen. I know where I'm defeated. So I can follow a recipe card <laughs> and someone listening to this, I would encourage you to do it. And I'd be fine with eating home chef the rest of my life. If I felt motivated enough to really want to do that kind of 45 to an hour prep yeah, time prep, for almost everything. Prep. The prep always seemed longer than what the cards told me. Oh, so. for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Those yeah. cards Hello fresh is the same way. Yeah. They're like, Oh, 30 minutes. And you're like, no, no it's way. really an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really an hour. So it's not like yeah. I hate cooking. It's just when you do it, three or four times a week, it can get a little old if it's not like in you that you love the kitchen and, and mm-hmm. preparing. Right. So that doesn't mean don't try it though. And certainly made my wife and I healthier for sure. We've yeah. definitely eating better and avoiding the processed food aisles, the supermarket way more in the produce aisle than we ever have in our marriage and all good things. And it also taught my wife a whole lot, all the sauces, demi glaze, whatever she now buys stuff. She mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have had we mm-hmm. not had those recipe cards. Mm-hmm. So it basically upped both of our games as far as, you know, what yeah. we can serve ourselves in the kitchen. And man, some of it's really tasty. Like you said, I've had some amazing meals that are better than probably uh, 95% of any restaurant I've ever been to. Like, I'm like, wow, I just spent a 10 or 12 bucks on a meal that I'm enjoying way more than $40 restaurant I used to mm-hmm. go to two years ago or something that I don't so much anymore. So yeah, change things for the better. You're absolutely right. Thank you for encouraging yeah. your audience to uh, yeah. Yeah. think about those meal kits. They're pretty amazing. It's, it is. And it's been, I, I've gone the opposite way where I've really done more cooking but, and I've really enjoyed it. And I've learned a lot of things about cooking in that. And I want to do more of it, you know? And so we're now that I, I don't have any issues if we're on a Sunday night when we don't have a HelloFresh meal, if we're going to do something fresh, the components come out and everybody just jumps in, chops, gets things ready. Certainly it's a lot faster when three people are doing it than one, right? So we get, we get meals ready a lot faster and everybody kind of knows their place, you know, like, oh no, I'm the, I'm the sous chef tonight. I'm, we have a chef and a sous chef and then a bar back (laughs) and the bar back, make sure everybody's got something to drink. (laughs) Right. And then, and then the other two are cooking the meal. Well, that all kind of came out of HelloFresh, right? That kind of came out of those disciplines. I think the thing I want to say about this is we've been, you know, talking about all this supply chain magic that's happened with Tesla, but think about the boxed meal 
space. And Paul, 10 years ago, none of that existed. And nor could you have thought they could send you food in a box and it would actually fresh food that would actually work. And somehow during the pandemic, it wasn't always the best quality, to be honest. Getting fresh is hard. But somehow during the pandemic, we never mixed a bo- missed a box. We always got what we ordered, and it was always really great. And you would think of all the places that would struggle during a pandemic and a supply chain issue would be our fresh food folks. And they somehow figured out with their technology. And, you know, you got to think about the you know, the manufacturing centers there that are putting these boxes together or vacuum sealing these meals for you. You got to go, man, they got to have some seriously good tech in those places to make that whole thing work. How do you know how many green onions to order? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) And the quality has got to be tops. My wife's pretty picky. If she had a slimy leaf of lettuce while the whole thing's going in the garden, she'd be really picky. And she usually picks things carefully in a supermarket. So for a factory style assembly of those meals, they got to be very careful about quality. There were some weak spots. If you had a bad meal or some element where the Brussels sprouts were just not uh, kind of old or limp and you couldn't really report it, you couldn't just tap, 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 bring up the phone and say, yeah, you got a component you missed the boat on this week. They just... They just didn't do a great job of that home chef in really. So it's the only two I've tried. Um, You've tried several others. Yeah. HelloFresh is really good now. They've got, you can go in and, and like we, we, I opened up the bag and it had two potatoes. We were making mashed potatoes that night and we had two potatoes. Wasn't going to make it like, we're like, mm-hmm. so I just quick went in and there's like a one button call and I got somebody on the phone right away. And I was like, Hey, we were, you know, we, we were missing potatoes. Oh, we'll take $17 off. Oh, jeez. Okay. That's like, well, wow. it's probably not $17 worth of potatoes, and but, you know, you're not going to argue with that. And way of they credit that to the next meal. They're like, hey, we see you've been a customer for three years. Thank you for your service. Like, HelloFresh, yeah, kind of HelloFresh kind of had it on, which if you're going to do that kind of service, you're going to have to have that kind of, much like Tesla, right? You, you don't take it to a service center. Somebody comes out to you in a lot of cases, right? And yep, yep. does the repair, does the upgrade. Uh, think about that. If our parents would have ever imagined a mechanic coming to the house to do the repair, they yeah. would have said, that's that's never going to happen. Yeah. You know? They'll go to and people's workplace too. They did a good right. job. It's a smart right. move. No, it's right. how they sell in like Vermont, New Hampshire. Have no Tesla service centers right now, but right. people right. own them and they get mobile service. They Tesla sends employees there, which they find affordable more so than opening a service center. I hope they do open more service centers. They right. need to scale them. But hey, one more thing about Home yeah. Chef. Sorry, I didn't mean to ding what you've tried. It's no. just that we were trying for lower carb options. There's there yeah. wasn't much out there. So three years ago when we were shopping, we really struggled to just find someone that had a filter. Just say, give me lower carb stuff. And give me substitutes for potatoes, whatever, because right. we had a lot of potatoes when we had some of the early yeah. ones. So I think we we tried actually three servers, I think, over the few years. So, but yeah, that's not for every, you. Got to shop. Each of you have different needs. I don't, whatever. No, right on. There's yeah. a there's a, and there's so many of them. There's enough of them that you should, and they all have free plans. You should try them, yeah. or get to know people who are on them because they probably have free <laughs> things to give away. Like if you wanted to try HelloFresh, just go to the average guy.tv slash HelloFresh and, or, or contact me. We always have kinds of free things to give away for that, but yeah, give them a try. And, you know, like you said, we went to Freddy's the other night. I took Sammy out for dinner and we, Freddy's is a kind of a Midwestern, really greasy hamburger place. And okay. it, Never heard right, of it. So, right. But it, it's like, um, 
you know, like before the pandemic, you know, you'd go and burgers were $5.99, $6.99, $7.99, right? Mm. I went in there. We had we hadn't been in there since the pandemic. We went in there, twelve fifty or ten fifty is wow. where they start. Yeah. And I was like, I said to Sammy, I'm like, wow. Like yeah. I've been hearing about inflation, but this was the first time I had really seen it in um in in retail. Yeah. Brian says Freddy's is amazing. Love their shoestring fries. It's <laughs> what they're known for. They they also flatten their burgers and put this this uh seasoning on it so you get a really thin it's well done. You're not ever gonna get sick at Freddy's. Um but it's it in there you put the bacon on it. But Paul, it was the first time I really felt the and I guess I should have felt it with gas prices going up, but I didn't. I felt it at Freddy's when I was, you know, things that were like seven fifty just two years ago are now ten fifty, and you kind of go, "Wow, that's tw- you know, it's twenty five percent." Yeah, you know? uh, not a great thing to see nice. as you and I uh, get a little older, a little closer to retirement. You see that kind of price volatility; it's a little scary. Yeah, when you're imagining a fixed in yeah. conversion of yourself in the future, right? Yeah, yeah jo- Joe's Joe's got them too. Yeah, they're kind of a Midwest. Um, well, yeah, but at least you and I both have some time, you know, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, I'd rather have this kind of inflation now than it when I'm two or three years away from retirement. And I'm thinking I, I have enough money at that point, And then it's, it's eating into the, you know, I, I don't have any time now, at least I have some time to make up for it. I kind of go, oh, okay, well, I'm gonna have to save a little bit more. Uh, my, my time horizon might be pushed out a little bit because of this. I'm just glad I have a little more time. I looked yeah, at my 401k in the last year and it went down 10%. Not a great feeling. <laughs> not, not, you know, yeah, no. I have been working on that no. since my mid twenties when I was first hired at IBM, the encouragement right. to the side. And here I am. It's like, Oh, right. One year gone. Yeah. Anyway, super, super. I try not to look at it too often. Uh, as, as you shouldn't, right. You yep. should yep. every, every couple of whatever makes you feel comfortable. Whatever makes you happy. I think is the right, uh, is the right, which is um, why I filter certain words on Twitter. I keep it in my happy place. I inform people about heat pumps and why electric cars are exciting or how, what, yeah. how I spent it, what it actually yeah. is like to own it. I keep it in my happy place or my latest article about Instagram or whatever. So if anyone's, you know, interested in trying to get rid of the gas line to your house, that's my next mission for my home, right? So I got, I got rid yeah. of both cars. My mower is still gas for now. It's a sit down, but I'll try to get rid of that next. Snowblower would be good. I think you're finally close, have, how do I get rid of the gas furnace? And that's yeah. where Europe is way ahead of us, Jim. Yeah. They're called air source heat pumps, but they're called high temperature air source heat pumps. What that means is the water circulating through my baseboard heating in my New England home needs to have that same temperature to act the same house that I've been in for 27 years. So to do that, you need a heat pump that makes hot enough water to make it not noticeable that you ripped out the gas furnace in my basement and replaced it with a, an electric one. So that's my next project. Hopefully that'll be a success. It's just in America, we're behind Europe on that. There's yeah. way less distributors, way less installers. It's a little bit scarier. Uh, it shouldn't be. Heat pumps are an ancient tech. It's basically just an air conditioner that can run in reverse. And they can right. do right. minus right. 14 Fahrenheit easily now. And I don't get below zero Fahrenheit. Almost never in Connecticut. Where you are, Jim, probably a little bit dicey. You'd have to Couple go times. with some Couple heat pumps. Yeah. Many heat pumps now market themselves well below zero Fahrenheit, though. Right. So the technology's caught up where you can replace all of America really shouldn't be putting in gas furnaces. Some states are outlawing them. So some states like California are way ahead of us there. So yeah, imagine uh, someone buying a home in California. You're not running a gas line under the lawn to that. No, it's just electric, which gets mm-hmm. more and more solar and wind over time. Mm-hmm. That to me is why the future is a little brighter, Jim. Yeah. Really. I mean, coal is way more expensive than gas and hydro. It, it, things are just getting better. Uh, yeah. Money is going to drive that to have cleaner air for our kids. 
that to me is good. I think as you think about this furnace replacement, you got to think about radiant heating, not just on your floor, on your, not on, just on the, the floorboards, but underneath the floorboards. That's the Europeans build that thing, that stuff in from the beginning. Oh yeah. Nothing yeah. better than a floor, right? The whole floor is warm. You've been and, on one of those or. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we, like, I remember this was eighties and we were there and I never, I grew up in California. I'd never been in a radiant you know, where the floor, you get radiant floor heat and it's getting more and more popular, right? More and more people are putting it in as they're putting in their new homes or whatever. But man, a warm floor, just so efficient and just so delightful on a cold, you know, like on a really cold winter day. If you can, your feet on a warm floor are just, it's love. Like well, for an existing house, be pretty pricey to rip up the floors and do all, yeah. all that. Well, but... you, can, you can retro them. You can retro them. Yeah. Okay. Just, like, just like everything else. And then the last thing is just the heat pump article. I mentioned that in a previous podcast, but I'll say it again. Why are heat pumps important? It's just interesting because they're in cars. So gas cars are only like 20, 30% of your burning gas is turned into forward motion. The rest is heating up the hood and, and the engine and heating up the occupants. An electric car uses a heat pump to be way more efficient than like a toaster. A uh, regular heater for an electric car, uh, that's what my Model 3 has from 2018. And basically it's just like we put a piece of toast in, you see the orange glow. That's one-to-one. -one. The watts burned are turned right into heat, about 100%. If you go with a heat pump, you get 300%. You get way more efficiency. You're sucking heat from under the hood, outside your car, and bring it into the occupants. Or if the battery needs to be warmed when you're going to a supercharger, you bring in that heat from the outside. Or, you know, cars basically move heat around where it's needed, an electric car, keeping the battery happy, keeping the occupants happy. Homes, the same thing, Jim. So I replaced my water heater for the shower water. Fine. We did that three years ago. Total success. Spending way less on electricity than we would have on the gas, not that much savings, but still we ended up because of the rebates that Connecticut offers, energyct.com is the website. We got a coupon. So instead of paying 1500, we paid the 750 that a regular gas water heater would have cost. So it's totally a no brainer and absolute win. And I thought a few hundred people might read it. And here I am three years later, 20,000 people read that article. So I feel really good yeah, about that. That yeah. a lot of people learning about and very interested in heat pumps, but right next to it is the therm, the, the what's heating the whole house. That's the, next thing to replace. And then finally, my air conditioner is also 24 years old. Yeah. So the question yeah. becomes, do you rip out the air conditioner and the furnace and replace them all with one thing? Yes. Well, then you need to have ducts on the first and second floor. And I don't have that. Oh. I've, got one, I've got one zone for yeah. So I do air conditioning with ducts on the first and second floor, but one air conditioner returns. So yeah. it's a major bit of surgery to any home when it gets to this age, like, what do I do? But You're, it's still, I don't want to replace the furnace with the gas one. It makes no sense at this point. It's cheaper to operate on electricity. I'll be fine. So, you know, stay tuned. But anyhow, these are the things that a lot of people are thinking about, Jim, and that gives me hope for the yeah, future. Good. There's no reason to build a house with gas anymore. It's good. You're you're stuck in a little bit of that East Coast thinking, like those homes were built to be to be heated by burning, right? Yeah. Here in the mid, here in the Midwest, yeah, we have gas furnaces, but we use forced air for just about everything. Oh, really? That's very common oh, by you. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So okay. you can retro. It's super easy to retro a house here. No, there you go. Uh, yeah, that's been there. built, you know, been built in the last hundred years. Do you so, do humidification uh -huh. in the winter? You, you do yeah. humidification. We do. Is maintaining maintaining that we thing do. been a big deal or no big deal? Uh, one filter. That, put just put a new filter in and, okay. and clean it out. Let it go. Is that common for yeah. your neighborhood mm -hmm. and other houses mm -hmm. you go to? People mm -hmm. they actually humidify their air in the winter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you have baseboard yeah. heating, that's a challenge in a house like mine. The house yeah. is very dry in the winter. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Same, the, the radiant heat when, it, when we lived in Europe, it's mm -hmm. all radiant heat, same struggle. They, they, you got to use some kind of 
humidifier during yeah. the winter. Otherwise it gets, su- gets super dry yep. in, in those cases. And, and I think I'm going to follow your lead when we replace the hot water heater. The next time we replace it, I'll probably go with the heat pump one that, that like you're, that like you have. And then the decision has to be made. Like the other thing that works out really well here in the, in the Midwest is geothermal. So if you can drive, like it's not super common, but you can, if you, if you got the space and the right land, you can do most of your heating and cooling from the constant temperature of the earth. And so there's just some, you know, the, the running geothermal has gotten a lot more, a lot cheaper and a lot easier than it used to be. So that's another way is, you know, as we think of replacing, you know, gas and fossil fuels, um, that's another thing. And I'd love to, this is the perfect house for solar here in Nebraska. So I'd love to have, um, cause my roof has the perfect pitch and it faces South and it's uh, like, Oh, I should just, I, all I got to do is load that up. So I'm kind of waiting. Nebraska has not been the most solar friendly state, <laughs> right? We're, you know, we're a corn, you know, we make ethanol here, right? So they're not really that interested in, in it's getting better, right? It's getting better. But, um, but so we've got some things to do, but I, I, as we replace things, I think we're going that direction as well, Paul. Yeah. Well, just on that topic, I got to see the first commercial Tesla solar installed in Connecticut. So it's on a house that's built in 1836, but its entire roof is making electricity. I found that very inspiring. It was a mere 20 yeah. minutes from where I live yeah. and clean Technica to my amazement, like published it, which was really cool. So it was neat to work in conjunction with Another legitimate blogger that's been around a lot you know, longer than I have. Why, why, shouldn't, we? why, why yeah. shouldn't we be using all these um, technologies? Joe says in the chat, he says, we're all electric here, but it's easier to do in the South. And that is true. In the summer, a heat pump really earns its keep. And uh, here in the Midwest, you know, like Joe, you know, our, 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 our air conditioner does the same thing. It could be a heat pump. We could have that out there as well on the geothermal side. Um, and again, here in the Midwest, um, some, a lot of folks have ponds or have a water source that works pretty well for geothermal. So you can run that as well or water source for heat pumps. So, you know, you've, we've got some Paul, I think we have some smarter options. I'm actually, I'm more excited about solar for homes than I am, than I am EV vehicles. Like, I mean, I'm all for, like, I, I love where we're going with that, but I think we've got a great opportunity for better energy in the, at the home level. Like we, we burn a lot of energy in these places. Yeah. And, and so, you know. Connecticut and, finally two weeks ago incentivized me to sign up and allow them to curtail charging once in a while in the worst days of summer. Yeah. I'm fine with that as long as my charges yeah. car is ready in the morning. So I get mm-hmm. to save. Uh, two to five hundred dollars per car per year. Oh, that's that's a start because our electricity costs the same a day and night in Connecticut, which is really strange. So that means they got to update the grid. If everyone plugs in their electric car and comes home at five p.m., that's no good. They need to just motivate us to charge after midnight or something. Yeah. And they're starting to do that. That's just for charging. That's not like correct. For, okay. They're u- using my Tesla account or smart chargers. People have other brands, and they can curtail on uh, the worst days of the year. So that helps them not have to replace stuff. I'd recently had to upgrade. The wiring to my house, for example, um, electric company pays for that, right? My voltage was sagging a little in the summer. Lived here 27 years. People install air conditioners. They move from 100 amp to 200 amp panels. Uh, gradually, the transformers get old, and I have two electric cars in the garage. That wasn't the reason, but it's been sagging for years where I was starting to dip below 110 volts for hours, and that could start to be a problem for certain electronics and stuff. So 
I reported it and they replaced the wires to my home. They put a new meter in the house and now they had to replace a transformer across the street and some wires along the yeah. poles. Yeah. And I'm like, by the way, um, you know, if more people get electric cars, yeah, it'd be interesting if we all charge all at the same time, but yeah. more important, why don't you just motivate me to charge after hours when it's actually beneficial to the power company to use electricity. Right. And right. so, yeah, it's, and the solar is part of that. If you don't really need a battery, if your power company will pay you for a meter that runs in reverse, right? If you can generate during the peak and then they credit you would offset you on your bill. Luckily I'm in one of those States that can do that. But yeah. now my wife would have to decide, you know, it doesn't make sense to do that where we're living and how long are we living here and all that. Um, yeah. Do you know yeah. where you're living the next five or 10 years, Jim? I know you're talking about that right here. Time. No, I'm we're staying here. You're, you're staying there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cost of living, all that uh, cost of construction materials, not a great time to try to it's, build something. Right now, it's not a time to move. I had to have that conversation with Sarah the other day. I was just like, "Yeah, we're not. This is not the time to move. Let's just hang tight. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be fine." And I, I there's some. I think there's some great things we can do here. So we'll have cool. to see. But um, we have uh, OPPD, our our electric company, um, does a little bit like that, except for air conditioners because air conditioners so. We run them so hard, and so for in the in the summer here, right in the Midwest. Interesting. So they put a mo- they put a meter on there that spins the air conditioner down on the hottest days, and they can with enough homes doing that. They and they only they only allow them to run for a certain time period, and they say, "Hey, you'll never notice the difference." We're just being smart about when they run. Um, they get enough energy savings that they don't have to put in a whole nother power center to make this thing work. And so it's to me, that's kind of cool. You're like, and I, during the summer, I never notice. And they say it's going to be between like seven and 15 days this summer. And so you're, and you'll never notice. And I think that's, that's kind of cool energy management that they're doing that kind of thing during this peak. Cause you know, everybody's just running their air conditioners full blast on the hottest days of the summer. Right. And, uh, and then, I mentioned this on another show, but our our you can um, our electric company is starting to put in big solar farms. So instead of incenting household solar energy, you can buy shares in their solar farm, and then they discount your uh, they discount your bill. So help them build these farms. And in some ways, solar farms may be more efficient than onesies, twosies, solar panels on houses. You know. Yeah. Um- I agree. My gut also tells me, though, if you're planning on living somewhere 20, 30 years, will you, is there a contract? Will it last your whole life? Will it last the lifetime of the house? Is it transferable? I don't know. Right, right. You, you, it's kind of like the risk of Insteon, right? You're buying into yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. And that can be right. a problem with solar as well, especially right. if you lease solar and you try to sell the house. There's also yeah. those things to think about. Right, right. Um, I happen yeah. to just be showing on my screen the sign-up process for people in Connecticut, but look up whatever state you live in, and there might, if you own an EV already, you might have some sort of program to sign up for where you can save some money at night. And this one scared me a little because it's clear result that Eversource partnered with. And then they, you have to provide, a, well, basically you're working with three different companies to get your cars hooked up so that an API can be talked to so that they can curtail the charging at night. And that's a little bit more complicated than it should be. And then when I went to sign up a second car, you had to clear your cookies or open up a different browser because the original one wouldn't let me add a separate car to the shopping cart. That kind of nonsense, right? A little rough start there. But hey, I, I, the payoff is hopefully hundreds a year by the end of this year. So, but lots of states, you know, have those kind of things. So mm-hmm. I encourage people mm-hmm. that are listening to look yeah. at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jim, I guess if some of your audience is new, if they could follow me at Paul Brayer, and I love interacting with people about 
anything on Twitter, the happy stuff, a lot of the topics I talked about, that's what I tweet about. Not yeah. so much politics or other miseries no. of war or whatever. No. Um, so. Tinker try T I N K E R T R Y.com. Uh, if you want to check it out, it's just one you should have in your favorites. And, uh, in, you know, it's not like he's got something new every day, but when he does post something, uh, it's pretty important. So you might want to get out there, get that done. Paul, thanks for, uh, Thanks for spending some time with me tonight. Give me a little extra time too. I always appreciate our conversations and uh, always appreciate the, 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 just the wisdom that you bring to what we do here. And, uh, and, and thanks for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Jim. Uh, thank you for having me. I hope things uh, continue to grow all over the country, including electrify America all over the state you live in, Jim. <laughs> I hope, I hope direct sales of Tesla's are allowed in your state. In mine, it's still no. a seven-year fight. Still, yep, you're nodding your head. No, nope. that's to, that, who knows that that'll make it to the Supreme Court one day. But yeah. it's it's yeah. getting silly. We have to buy it in Iowa. So now we are, live on the border. So yeah, okay. but so it's not a big deal for you. Yeah, no, yeah. no, it's not. But these. So I'm, I don't mean to scare people away. Right, I'm just a straight talker on the, the challenges yeah. with EVs. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm saying, oh, you should. If someone's on the fence about an EV, go test drive it. Do what I try that EV decider and, and give me feedback. Uh, I love to hear how people do if it actually helped them out, right? In their journey to figure out does it make sense? The biggest one home charging. If you can plug in your garage or pay an electrician 500 bucks to add an outlet in your garage, a 240 volt outlet, it's called uh, NEMA 1450. That's your first step. If that's like 500 bucks away to have that installed in your garage, that's what you're telling your significant other. We get that installed, you never have to go to a gas pump again. You keep your hands clean, your car's ready to go every morning. You don't have to do the calculus. Your car is full when you leave. That's that's what was big for my wife. So that's the first thing to research, I would say, for people. Can you charge at home? That's going to be your secret to EV success and happy ownership. So you don't have to think about it in the winter, right? The car's just ready to go. I like it. I like it a lot. Any brand of car, yep. Yeah, well... The same um, outlet will work on any brand too. That's the good thing. You pay an electrician once. It's get it's getting a lot better that way, right? Yep. You can just get put it in, and then you can just swap out the swap out the connectors or or the cables or whatever you need. So good. Well, Paul, thanks for doing. Thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, just a couple reminders on our way out. One, if you've made it this far, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the endurance. I'm at a standing desk. I'm feeling it. I got my. Uh, are you a little bit All of motion right. here? Knee, talking with knees, my, arms. my knees hurt after standing for an hour or two because I stand at work. I alternate. Yeah, I don't okay. do it all day. Yeah, um, I, I I go back and forth, but I can stand all morning. But then I go to sit down at lunch, and I'm like, oh, and I can feel it. You know, you can feel it in your knees. Well, um, uh, good good for you for standing up. If um, uh, a couple things. Big thanks to Christian, of course. You know, Maple Grove Partners. They kind of run everything that we do from an infrastructure standpoint. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. MapleGrovePartners.com. If you're thinking of starting a site, and who shouldn't have their own website at this point, check out MapleGrovePartners.com. Plans start as little as 10 bucks a month. We are live every Thursday, and if you want to continue this conversation in the Discord group, head over to the home, to uh, theaverageguy.tv slash Discord or leave us messages, HomeGadgetGeeks.com. If you got a question about the show, whatever, uh, you can leave us a voicemail there. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. Erin Lawrence is next week. She's going to come on. She has been on fire with her reviews, and I think she's going to bring some pretty cool stuff. Uh, so you're going to want to join us live. Uh, you're going to want to join us live for sure next week, next Thursday. And then on the 19th, got a new guest. We got another entrepreneur who's doing some cool things with sound and, and connectable whole home speakers. I think it'll be pretty interesting. He's trying cool. something new. So that'll be, the, I think that's the 19th. 
Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out here at TheAverageGuy.tv Live. If you're listening live, thanks for coming out. We'll do a little bit of post-show. With that, we'll say goodbye.